Welcome to Spark, Careers in Agribusiness, where we meet the most accomplished leaders in agribusiness today. Learn how each of the women and men featured has built leadership into their life's work and what advice they have for young people just beginning their careers. Your host for Spark is Sarah Stever, President at Paulson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Spark. Today, we'll be talking with Wendy Pinkerton, who is Senior Manager, U.S. Industry Relations at Zoetis. And Wendy's going to tell us a little bit about Zoetis, but I want you to know that Wendy has an amazingly diverse background. She's been a journalist, an academic, an entrepreneur, and through all of her career, just a stellar communicator. And Wendy and I have had many, many conversations about working with young women who are just starting out in their careers, so I know that this conversation is going to leave our Spark audience with many essentials for success in whatever field they choose. So, Wendy, let's start out by talking about Zoetis in your current role and maybe share what an ideal day is like for you. Well, thanks, Sarah, and I'm, I'm so glad to join you this morning. I joined Zoetis in January of this year after uh, a long career in marketing communications. I am, as you said, the senior manager for industry relations, which falls under the public affairs umbrella. A little bit about Zoetis, though. Zoetis is a company that's about four and a half years old. It was originally included under the umbrella of Pfizer. It was part of Pfizer's animal health group and then four and a half years ago spun off in a IPO and uh, has been very successful since it's the largest global animal health company. It's based in Parsippany, New Jersey, and I'm based uh, in my home office here in Champaign, Illinois. Now, a typical day, there is no typical day. Uh, My work in public affairs is focused on building and enhancing those relationships we have with our industry partners. It could be a conference call with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. It could be working on looking at our NAFTA stance and how we prepare uh, to talk about that to external audiences as well as our own internal audiences. It is not a typical day-to-day, and I think that's what I love very much about it. Under public affairs, we work in three areas, government relations, we work in food chain relations, and then I work in industry relations. And we have a small team with a lot of focus on our work. It's nice that we all have skills. This team of five have skills that uh, interrelate and can support each other. So I still am doing quite a bit of, of work and support in the area of communication, more specifically about the livestock side of the Zoetis business, but I also get involved day-to-day within Companion Animal. It still uh, allows me to build relationships, work with industry, allied partners, and really employ the skills that I've built up over, you know, the past 35 years. I can't imagine being able to do the just kind of knowing what that role is and, and how you just described it. I can't imagine being able to do that without the background that you've got. So I think it'll be really interesting for our folks to understand you know, where did you begin? How did your early life prepare you for where you are now? I've been working in this uh, business for over 35 years, and I I guess it's, it really combines, you know, all the experiences and background and 
all my learnings to date. I grew up on a livestock and crop farm in northern Illinois. We had purebred cattle, purebred hogs, enough crop farming to support that side of the business. I was the oldest granddaughter of uh, five grandchildren. Really, the the sky was the limit. Uh, I was really involved throughout my early life, uh, showing cattle, showing hogs, involved in 4-H, a lot of travel, leadership experience through certainly 4-H, also through purebred cattle associations. So it was just the perfect time, early 60s, throughout the 60s and early 70s, uh, to be involved in it. But I think knowing that at some point and probably in high school realized that I could not return to the farm. There were other grandchildren. The farm did well, but it was not large. So I, I had to consider what were my options in following a career path? How would I combine this love of agriculture, this love of livestock and the skills that I'd been you know sharpening throughout my early life? And it just really all came to this end point of uh, pursuing a degree and study in agricultural communications. And I was allowed then to put an emphasis in that education in animal science. Came out of the University of Illinois, ILL, uh, with a degree in agricultural communications, was able to, after graduation, work for Drover's Journal, which at that time was uh, still a weekly newspaper, a leader in you know, livestock uh, communications, livestock journalism. It was a great career path, a great career beginning. Had the opportunity then to go to Florida with my new husband at the time. By happenstance, pursued a master's degree in animal science with a focus on meat science, which led to all sorts of other opportunities at that. So I, you know, I had the best education opportunities combining communications and marketing with this nerdy science (laughs) education, too, which I think really, in the long run, has helped me and has provided me great opportunities to not only bring that marketing communication side to my work, to my career, but also kind of this nerdy, geeky science side, too. That seems like a really deliberate decision that you made. Was there some sort of a need or you felt like there was a gap that made you want to go back and get your master's degree? For the longest time, as I've advised students coming into a programming communication, was what I saw was this need to specialize. Journalists are great generalists and know you know, a little bit about a lot of things. And and that's a great opportunity that you have in a journalism career or communications career. You get to learn very quickly about a lot of things. But I also saw this need uh, for myself and as I give advice to others to specialize, to have a specialty that makes you more of a focused communicator. And my choice was I had this great love for farm animals. So I chose to pursue this route in animal science and eventually in meat science to be able to focus that communication and and hopefully make me more marketable. It turned out well for me. And I see now more 
communicators coming out of great programs that a lot of dual majors in ag communications and animal science or ag communications and food science or economics. You know, I think it makes us better communicators in the long run when we have this area that we know well and have been trained in. That makes perfect sense, and that's wonderful advice for our audience. So I'm curious if there were any surprises along the way as you were talking about transitioning, moving to Florida, getting back to and getting your master's degree. Anything that surprised you? No, and, and i tell you why. It's just I think that's part of my personality is when, <laughs> you know, when uh, interesting things come up or, uh, you know, something doesn't go as you expect. Uh, I have always believed that one must be very flexible in their approach to life because life throws you curveballs. Things happen that you don't expect. And the best we can do is embrace it, walk into that fire, walk through it, handle it, come out a little better on the other side. I embrace a little bit of surprise, a little bit of chaos. Because it, it happens. Life happens. Yep. We sure as heck better deal with it. That is very, very true. <laughs> so can you describe maybe any pivotal events or decisions that you made that really made a big change in the course of your life? I can talk to you about a, a pivotal decision just you know, within the past year. Prior to joining Zoetis, I had worked with other women to establish a successful national marketing communications company, and that was Demeter Communications. It was a lot of heart and sweat and time and devotion to begin that company with other women and see it evolve and thrive and grow. So here was this company with eventually myself and uh, another senior partner who, um, you know, had made a go of it. I made a decision maybe nine months ago that I was at a point in my life, in my career, in my growth, that it, it was time to make a change. I wanted more challenge, more learning, other opportunities. It was a very tough decision to consciously leave a business partner, a very dear friend, and a business that I had helped grow for 11 years. But I made that decision and it, you know, it wasn't without a lot of heart-wrenching thought and consideration and weighing the pros and the cons, but when the Zoetis position came about, uh, I knew in my gut, and I knew logically that it was a very good move for me at you know at this point in my career in my life. You don't go through decisions like that lightly, nor should we. In the end, I'm happy with the decision, and so far, so good. A huge decision. I, as kind of a spectator to it, and kind of knowing you in the industry, and and knowing your partners and what you guys had built, that was really a surprise to me. So it's it's fun to hear you kind of talk about following both the logical side, making a logical decision, but also something that you went with your gut on to to know that it was the next step up for you. Sure, I think that's something as women we are are very good at. Innately, we have this good sense in our gut. It's why uh, thousands of years ago, we knew not to eat poisonous plants and protect our families. Uh, it's that we know things. We just have the, this 
collective knowledge that we have, and it shows up in, in our gut instincts. And I think we're really good at that, but also balanced with a good logical approach. I, I think as women, we have that capacity and that sense to be able to do that. That's very unique uh, to our gender. And I, I think sometimes we don't trust our gut and we put it all down on black and white on paper and make decisions when we know in our gut or in our heart, it's not the right one. That's a skill that, that we bring as women to life decisions, to business decisions, that we can approach decision-making, you know, with both uh, head and heart. Culturally, and especially I think when you get into university systems where you're given all these tools that are supposed to help you with logic and good decision-making, you kind of lose sight of the fact that your instincts often can drive the best decisions for you. Absolutely. And I think we need to return to some of that as well. I like your example of uh, not feeding our kids poisonous plants. That's Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we were, we, you know, we were really good hunter-gatherers, you know, we we discern colors a lot better. Uh, and, uh, Probably so why. We avoid... Yeah, that's right. So who do you feel like has been the most important in your uh, development or, or when have you felt most supported in your career? I think in the beginning, I have uh, had a lot of really good, strong family support. A very uh, career-minded mother, a father who was extremely supportive, you know, great-grandparents good siblings, a strong family unit in the beginning. But as I look back, I've been in this business a long time, in agriculture a long time. I had a father who was very encouraging and supportive and and even to the point of pushing just a little bit to compete, but also the same father that you know, never put up barriers just because I was a, a young woman competing in a field or in an area that was predominantly male, you know, that was very encouraging. Um, you know, my father was one of those that said, well, of course you can do that. And and of course you can compete and uh, succeed in a field of agriculture where early in, in my life and, and, you know, even today, there, a lot of men are in leading positions, ownership and leading boards and leading industries. Uh, it never occurred to me that I, I couldn't succeed as a young woman or an older woman today. That I go back to that time and time again, you know, what would Duke tell me? What would my dad tell me facing a decision or a dilemma? You know, a lot of really good, strong support early. I think as I was in college, there were plenty of people to guide the way, good examples, good professionals to follow. Here I am coming out of college in the early 80s and still seeing, you know, seeing women succeed and elevate, starting to take the reins in, in positions. That was, that was very encouraging. And, and I hope in some way that after 35 years, I've been a good, at least a good example to uh, young professionals along the way. Well, you have, and I know you've been a mentor to a lot of people. And so I, I guess I'm just going to hop onto that topic. You and I have had a lot of conversations about what we're seeing out there and, and traits and characteristics of young women and how, you know, how we feel like we can step in and help. Can you kind of relate how you've been a mentor and, and some thoughts on that? Being a mentor, it's 
almost the rent we pay for a good life. It's a role that, as professional women, it's what we need to do. Young professional women look to us, watch what we do and what we say and how we act and how we treat others. It casts a a wide ripple. As you said, I've, I've had the opportunity to work with college students, especially through National Agro Marketing Association. And I've been Uh, involved in the student chapter here at the University of Illinois. You know, as I look at them and a lot of good young men and young women, I had good mentors. I wanted to be a good mentor, especially to these young women as they embark on their professional career. These are ambitious and talented women with a depth of experience. Compared to my college career, it made me look like a real slouch. I think that, (laughs) that now they have these very deep resumes and experience. And I I think that's great and not always sure what I could add, but after listening to them, I, you know, I could share my experiences, both the successes and failures and, and maybe help make their own path a little bit more navigable. These young women are outstanding and it is so rewarding and enjoyable to watch them as they launch into their careers. If I gave any advice is to trust your knowledge, trust your heart, but use your skills, use your talents, and work harder than anybody else around you. These young women, I wanted, I wanted them to, to prove themselves every time they were involved in a group project or as they started uh, within their career. I think it's important that as young professional women start out that they, they speak and they act and they work considering their audience. As I have done communications training in the past and as I, you know, work with launching professionals, always keep that audience in mind. As communicators, you know, that's one of the first uh, things that we ask is, okay, who's the audience and how do I build what I do and what I say around that? I think that applies as you begin a professional career. One other point, and, and maybe it's just because I've thought about this lately, is to build a tribe. Build a tribe of women, could be men as well, but build a tribe for yourself. Find those that will give you honest feedback and support you when you fall down and celebrate you when you succeed. Build that strong coalition around you where you can ask questions and voice concerns and those that, you know, will continue to lift you up. I think that's really critical. And, and uh, I guess one of the last things I think about is that, goodness, ladies, when you wear a skirt and when you sit down, please cross your ankles. <laughs> that is really good advice. You know, it's, you, you talk about, you know, speaking and acting and working to that audience. I think that totally ties in with that because your visual appearance, we want it to be about our ideas, right, and not about what we're wearing. That's right. Let's not be looking, have people looking at our earrings or our fashion senses, that we've got a lot more to offer and let people get past what that first impression is. And we need to get them to, to listen to us seriously and consider our ideas. And we don't do that with a lot of uh, jingly earrings and short skirts. We've got to get past that. Not that that's bad, but there's a place for it and there's an audience for it. And it's not necessarily, you know, in the boardroom or with a client. I really appreciate that advice about having that tribe that can give you honest feedback because a lot of times they can help you spot things like that that you may not even realize you're doing. Uh, and making sure exactly. they're honest with you is really the critical 
piece of that. And that's what you seek in a tribe is that, that group that will give you that very black and white, honest, hard criticism and solutions uh, when, you, when you need it. It's important. I've built and recreated a tribe around me for years, depending on where I've been and what I've been doing. And I think it's essential. Um, you need somebody that you can call it four in the morning that'll that'll listen to you and just, you know, let you go on to you figure it out, you know, either with their input or that you've arrived at the decision. I completely agree. I think sometimes it's we hear a lot about being self aware and sometimes it's difficult to be self aware and it's helpful to have someone who can be an outside voice for you and an outside pair of eyes to kind of help you navigate things. Self awareness is good, but uh, we, we need that counterbalance to it that that really sees us, you know, with all the, the, the warts and faults that we have and, and, you know, how we constantly improve. It's not a stagnant position we're in. We evolve and we change and we find new directions to go. That tribe is, is critical, especially when you're making decisions or when you face a roadblock. Again, those that will just give you a very honest feedback. So is there any other pieces of advice that you've got for for our audience. Um, you've covered just a ton of great stuff already. Um, I wonder if there's anything we missed. As, as I was thinking about talking with you, as I look over the past 35 years in my career, and, and that's sometimes really hard to say out loud, we've seen really good advancement of women in the agribusiness workplace, but sometimes I am really astounded that we haven't achieved more. I guess I'm putting my feminist hat on a little bit, but, uh, oh, and know that I love men, you know, love men, love working with them. Some of my best buddies. I think there is more that we can do. And I think it's up to us as women, those that are starting out and those of us that are more seasoned to bring up other women. Cheryl Sandberg in her book, Lean In, I don't know if you've read that, but it's it's one that I keep in, in front of my desk anyway. And, and she said that there is a special place in hell for women who do not bring along other women. And I believe that. I, I mean, I believe that. I you know, I think back to early in my career, and I think women, because of just kind of a narrow gate, were in, in line for, you know, some similar positions or promotions, and that it became a competition rather than a celebration and a uplifting. And I think we've turned the corner on that. I hope we've turned the corner on that. And I'm trying to do my part in that to support and promote and inspire and celebrate my female colleagues, girls compete with each other. And I would like to think as women, we empower each other. I think we can do more of that. I think we just, you know, we bring along other women and and that's how we continue to succeed and advance and achieve. That happens at all points in your career. You you always have that opportunity to support each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even even beginning in your career, you bring, bring along, bring along others and, and they, you know, might be your colleague. We must do even more of that. I, I, I think we've done well, but uh, I think there's always room for for more of uh, bringing each other along. So do you feel like uh, there have been any obstacles in your in your career or in your life that you've had to overcome that, that you can share with our audience? It's very sweet. And, and I tell this a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I remember in my first career path out of 
my undergrad. I was working for Drover's Journal. At that time, I was the purebred editor and, and often would go out onto farms or ranches and, and ride in the truck with the rancher or the, the producer. And I remember being called Hun or dear, or sweetie, um, often, and, oh, no, you sit here, sweetie, and I'll jump out of the truck and and open that gate so we can go into the pasture. Uh, I heard a lot of that, and I I just decided that, no, I was going to be the one that jumped out of the truck and opened the gate and became the the cow whisperer in the middle of, uh, you know, a herd of you know, 40 Hereford females, whatever that was. I had to prove myself, and it wasn't that it was necessarily condescending. It was just, you know, it was the vernacular or the manners of of that that person, that gentleman. I overcame that. I just decided that I was going to have to prove myself. And once you proved yourself, once you made known that you understood what you were doing and you understood the industry and understood at that point, you know, the livestock, that uh, okay, then it was uh, easy consideration as an equal. Those are good stories. And, and I remember those because they, you know, they keep me focused on <laughs> proving, you know, what you know, and that you have a skill set and that you have experience. And once that is established, then the work gets easier. There is not a challenge I can think of that I either didn't push through, climb over, walk around. We have those time and time again, and they can either ruin us and defeat us, or we choose to figure out a way around them. I'd like to think that I I keep doing that. It's hard to tell me no. Uh, and uh, I believe that so, uh, it, I, t- I take that as a, as a personal and a professional challenge. Yeah, I think that re- that really specific example that you gave goes back to what you said earlier, and that you've got to work harder than anyone around you, um, and just be be prepared and know your stuff, and they'll they'll take you seriously. That's right. It's just uh, you know sometimes we have to to prove ourselves. Even at 57 years old, I, I continue to, to prove myself. What was the, the quote that uh, when we look at uh, old movies and uh, we look at Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire, Ginger had to do everything Fred did, uh, except she was in high heels and had to do it backwards. You know, we might we might have a few challenges, but it doesn't mean that we can't succeed. Let's talk about what you're seeing out there, uh, I guess, within your sphere of influence. And what are you mm-hmm. most concerned about these days that's happening? We've come a long way. If we look at women professional, and that's what I'll talk about, my sphere of influence, is that we continue to need to see each other, bring each other along. We've got a lot of work to do to advance in our professions and sit on boards and take the helm of, well, you know, agencies and uh, agribusiness companies. We've done well, but I think there's so much more that we can do along the way. And I think some of that is making sure that we're building each other up. And, you know, I'll go genderless on this too, is that there's a lot of young professionals out there that we can help bring along and teach and mentor. And professionals that have had really good, successful careers we owe that to the universe. Like I said, it's the rent we pay for a good life. We must be able to help in advance being able to work on teams and and work with people that are not necessarily like-minded or with the same background. There's so much more that we can do to work in a unified way 
with all our differences. We need to do that. We need to do more of that. We can all do our part to uh, to work together in, in better ways and advance each other. We do that in, in business, and maybe we'd be a good example to the world. <laughs> so let's just all get along and help each other. <laughs> Some of the basics, you know, you learned in kindergarten, be nice, play nice together, help that other person. Amen. So, Wendy, <laughs> you you and I are both at the same spot in our career path and the same age, and I'm just kind of curious. So looking down the road 10 or 15 years from now, when you decided it's finally time to step aside. What do you hope people will say about you? It's hard for me to envision that. It, it almost sounds like I'm, I'm going to write my uh, epitaph. I tell people, you know, when I made this career shift at 57, I really don't know what I would do if I weren't working, weren't involved in a career path. I think yeah, when I retire, it's uh, also going to be my, my funeral wake. But anyway, um, I, <laughs> Don't do that. I hope, <laughs> I hope that, you know, people think that, well, maybe I, I really did do my best and I brought others along on the journey. Also, they, they may say, okay, she, you know, she went out doing what she loved and maybe that was talking animals uh, with a farmer or a rancher and was drinking whiskey and smoking a cigar at the same time. So <laughs> I hope people will remember that maybe I was a comprehensive thinker, that I was a really attentive executioner of plans and programs, even as a introvert true introvert, that I was a wicked introvert, and, and maybe just, you know, a kick-ass woman. Maybe that's what they can talk, uh, you know, over Irish music and, and whiskey at my wake. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I've never had anybody with that answer. That's just awesome. I love that. One last question for you. What is a question that no one ever asks you, but you've just got this great answer to, and you'd love to share it with us? Oh, gosh. I have done so much work in the past helping others build their own brand. You know, this is this is something that uh, I've done professionally and for clients and but uh, you know, nobody asked me what my own brand is. Um and maybe that's because I've thought about this well enough that I display it in everything I say and everything I do, just everything I execute. So maybe it's not an answer to a question, but maybe I demonstrate it in in other ways, you know, hey, Wendy, what's your brand? Uh, nobody ever asked that. They asked me to, to help them with their own. But uh, my brand is that she was a kick-ass woman, and she was a comprehensive thinker and doer, and she brought others along the way. I never get that question, but that's how I'd answer it. Let me demonstrate to you, you know, who I am and what I do. I can vouch that you live that brand because that has exactly <laughs> been my experience in interacting with you. And so I think you are true to your brand, and we know that that's really an important piece of living. So did I miss anything that you wanted to talk to our audience about? No, I think, I mean, this has been a great conversation, and, and I uh, I appreciate the discussion. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, I think, I, and I'm so happy you're doing this. I, I think, as as you and I have talked, we, we have an obligation to, to bring along other professionals, bring along other, other women. We do that by conversations like this. We do this by building each other up, making sure that our tribe is intact and, and that we're uh, paying the rent for a good life. Yeah, I love the way you say that, the paying the rent aspect of it. Very true, and you gave our audience some 
absolutely fabulous advice. I hope at least it's a, a few things for consideration, and I'm sure that not everybody agrees. But you know what? That's the great part of this conversation is that uh, at least uh, maybe there are a few things to chew on and, and consider. They need to take your advice about working harder than anyone else, and I love that idea of building a tribe that can give you honest feedback. I think that's super advice and supporting each other. That's really up, up at the top for me there. So, Wendy, I think this was just an awesome conversation, and I knew it would be, and thank you so much. Oh, Sarah, thank you. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity, and, and you know, as I said, I hope I have sparked a, a few uh, thought-provoking uh, considerations. You definitely have, and that wraps this episode of Spark, and we hope uh, that you'll join us again for another one. Thank you, Spark audience. That's Spark for today. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in for the next episode. To learn more about Paulson, please visit paulson.ag. That's P-A-U-L-S-E-N dot A-G.